Welcome to Prime by Cortex, a podcast where we interview game designers working on projects for the Creator Studio. I'm your host, Kirby, joined by my co-host, JT. Hey, how's it going? And in today's episode, we are going to be speaking with Jeremy Forbing about his project, Wolfskin. Uh, Jeremy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for asking me to be here. Yeah, of course. So before we get into the actual Wolfskin game, uh, can you tell us how you... I feel like discovered is probably not the best word, but how you discovered Cortex and what kind of motivated you to start writing for the creator studio? Um, Well, you know, uh, I don't know. Discovered might not be the worst word just because it really did feel like when I first encountered the game, uh, it was just like vistas opened up. You know what I mean? It just did different things than other RPGs that I played before. And I've been, you know, a lifelong like, you know, D&D and, you know, a lot of other games, lifelong tabletop role-playing gamer. But I have this one friend who's just super into superhero RPGs. He tries everyone that comes down the pike, whether good, bad, whatever. And and he's always, he always says the greatest things in sliced bread, no matter what the game is. And this time he was like, oh, Marvel, Marvel heroic role-playing. You got to cry it. And that was obviously a game powered by Cortex. You know, so he got me to do it. And I was, I, I looked over the book and I and I couldn't wrap my head around it. I wasn't quite getting what Cortex did. We started playing for a little bit and it was like the, you know, the, the basic scenario that comes in the book and I was Cyclops from the X-Men. And after not very long, I got what it was and the way that the system kind of rewards you for playing in character, basically like that. it You know, that's sort of the the uh, optimized way to play your character is to uh, just sort of, you know, to think about your personality, really think in character to use things like distinctions. And I was like, oh, after that, I was obsessed with Marvel Heroic. I wasn't playing anything else for a while. Ran a big game, ran the whole Civil War event at a, you know, game store bias. And, you know, sort of had open tables and players came in, came out for like a year or so, probably for the whole life of the game, I think, because unfortunately the license went away before too long, you know, and it's one of those games where you like you start hacking it. We start converting other games to it after that, you know, Marvel Heroic the license went away messed around with some of the other games, but then slowly like it went away. And then I went back to D and D and da da da. And then, you know, but I backed the Kickstarters and now Cortex has come back hard and I really am excited for it to finally, I think get as big as it could be. Yeah, that's really cool. And uh, I think you were talking uh, earlier that you actually have some experience. You said designing for things like five E and stuff like that too, right? Like I, I have been trying to sort of make a living as a game designer in the last few years. D&D 5e is very, very popular, and I do love it. You know, I mean, I started, I started playing when it came out because I loved it, and I really just thought thought it was the best version of D&D, and it was really easy to design for and write for, which I think has been a big sort of boon to it. And then when the DMs Guild program opened up, I just put some stuff out there just to see how it went. And I had some really strong initial success, and so I've just been writing for it. So that was what was cool about when, you know, when the um, the last Kickstarter sort of resolved and they started delivering things and there was the announcement with with fandom uh, purchasing the game and that there's going to be the creator studio and everything else, you know, that like, OK, I'm already 
I'm already making things. And now I have this game that I really love and I can make stuff for it. And so I transition, you know, I mean, I'm still writing for DMs Guild because the creator studio as of when we were recording this podcast is not a thing that's open yet. But I, you know, I, I've been slowly working on Wolfskin on the side and also actually a couple other Cortex products, products that are very sort of nebulous at the moment. Um, just trying to be ready because I really think, I mean, Phantom's making big moves, you know, and I, I, I don't know if you saw like the actual play or um, whatever you call it, the big announcement where they played the Legends of Grayskull, the Masters yeah, of the Yeah, that was cool. And those cool character sheets, like the, for real. the you know, and, and if they implement something like that for like games that are designed by like independent designers that me, man, and the way that the animation, the dice and everything else, you know, I was, you know, I mean, I was already, I was already down. I was already like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to write for this. But then when I saw that, I thought, wow, this could, I think this game could be really big. That was actually like uh, for the Legends of Grayskull actual play. That was something they actually just cobbled together just to have something out there. But if that's what they're able to do, just cobbling something together, I'm really excited to see Mm -hmm. what their digital tools are going to look like. Speaking of uh, Cortex and Wolfskin, uh, in your own words, what is Wolfskin about? And what do you hope players can find in Wolfskin that they're not going to be able to find uh, in other existing games that, well, cover werewolves? It's funny because when we talk about werewolves, there's one big werewolf game in the room. You know what I mean? Like as far as there, there was Werewolf the Apocalypse, the White Wolf game. And that's the big sort of werewolf role playing game. There are other games where you play various kinds of monsters, but usually it's like you're one of those monsters. You know, like you could be a werewolf or you could be a vampire, you could be whatever. And it's sort of like everybody, everybody comes together and you're a group of, you know, sort of weird outcasts that don't totally fit together. What I wanted to do with Wolf, well, because specifically all these things and most of the media involves werewolves, right? The werewolf is terrorizing the humans, you know what I mean? So, so because, you know, there's this sort of, I mean, back in the day, you know, like, like since ancient times, people have been afraid of wolves. They've seen wolves as predators who are dangerous to humans. But when you look back over history, like we're way bigger threat to wolves than they are to us. You know what I mean? And I thought there was just a different viewpoint that could be found. Even in Werewolf of the Apocalypse, where the werewolves are the heroes, the deal is that they terrorized humanity for generations before modern history. That werewolves were constantly, they were the predators, they were the ones. But I was just trying to think sort of about the relationship between human beings and animals and about wolves specifically. And their sort of place in the ecosystem because they're, you know, they're apex predators, but to us, they're prey. They're, you know, there's something that people deal with, you know, ranchers don't like them, you know, and, and, you know, uh, you know, you know, if you're raising livestock or if you're just in areas that tend to have wolves, people tend to, you know, I think there's been a lot of overreaction over the years to the presence of wolves in general. So there, I mean, a lot of them are endangered, you know I mean? There's really just, there's red wolves and there's gray wolves and that's the only two species of wolves we have right now so i wanted to write something from that point of view that sort of like was about interrogating that concept in terms of the werewolf itself not being the source of the horror and so i guess that short answer that i just came to after a long period of rambling is probably a more effective summation of my impulse behind the game than anything else but the idea is just that you're you're a hero you're a werewolf and you're a hero and you're not struggling to control your bestial side. I mean, there are, there can be situations in the game where sort of rage or animal instinct overcomes you, but that you're a hero. And that the idea is that these are, 
beings who they choose to be what they are. They take on this wolf skin. So it's not, you know, somebody bit you on the neck and you're a werewolf. You're not born with it. You take on this wolf skin, which is this sort of spiritual mantle. And you uh, become one of these sworn defenders who protect sacred places in the world. And you go to one of those sacred places with the people around you, your pack, and you become a part of, you know, this group and you live there. That is your home. So it's really about people defending their homes. Yeah, that's a really cool and fresh perspective because you really don't get that from like you were talking about, like most other RPGs that involve sort of wolves or werewolves. Um, were you like involved at all in any sort of like wolf conservation efforts or something before this? Because it sounds like, uh, you know, a lot sort of about, you know, the plight of wolves or was it just like research? Yeah, it was definitely an education that I got. I mean, like. You know, there, there, you know, there are things around in the media, you know what I mean? Like there's that article that I think everybody shared that I was going around social media about how, uh, you know, there was a park where wolves were practically extinct and then they reintroduced them and it had all these sort of knock on effects, like the positive effects, you know what I mean? Like, like, because, you know, the wolves acting as predators controlled certain populations and suddenly certain plants are coming back and other, you know what I mean? That, that it was just, it was a big help to have them reintroduced. Um, so I was aware of stuff like that in general. You know, I, I mean, I, I'm definitely a person who's sort of sensitive to environmental issues, but I hadn't done a lot of research before. And this was me doing a lot of research and just realizing that, like I said, that, that, that in general, humanity is much more of a threat to uh, wolves than the other way around and, and has been, I mean, as long as we've recorded history. And so that, you know, that's sort of represented in the game where, you know, the idea is that these little wolf skins were originally um, these mantles passed down by these sort of divine spirits who came down and took the forms of wolves and defended sacred places in the world. But they would defend them from like sorcerers and undead and all kinds of supernatural threats or whatever. And then over time, these mantles, which used to be carried by wolves, were passed on to being carried by humans. Because you had to be able to interact with the human society to defend these places because humans became the biggest threat, much more so than the, the supernatural things. And that was a that was something that definitely came from that research. But I, I didn't have any any special knowledge going in. You know, they say know what you write or sorry, they say write what you know. But I think the key to that is knowing what you write. You know what I mean? Like if you you know, if you don't know anything about something, but you really feel like a. Uh, an impulse to write about it, you can become knowledgeable about it, you know, and that's one of the fun parts about writing. Yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like your research informed a lot of what players will be doing in the game. Uh, it also sounds like there is a sort of broader landscape here. Uh, and uh, I don't want to keep making comparisons to stuff like uh, Werewolf the Apocalypse, uh, but you in your primer uh, and your uh, rough draft that was released earlier this year, uh, first draft, uh, it sounds like you've opened the setting up to uh, have other supernatural communities. Uh, so I was kind of curious um, how, uh, from a werewolf's perspective in this game uh, as a player, how this interaction would develop between these other communities, or if we're just still focusing on humans being the antagonists, 
uh, as well as I'm, I'm kind of curious, uh, do you think you'd be expanding this universe to where you have, where you kind of tackle other supernatural communities as playable, or is it just Wolfskin? Well, actually, say that's definitely something I thought about. Is is as I want to expand things. I said, you know, there were, um, you know, it says in the in the the game, like in the, in the most basic versions, there's vampires and there's necromancers and there's wayward demons and sorcerers and never that, that that stuff is out there. And I've thought about, well, you know, if I'm letting people play as werewolves, should I open it up and do again? I mean, we, you know, you talked about we don't have to keep comparing to Werewolf the Apocalypse, but on the other hand, like, you know, I did play all those games and loved them. You know, I played Werewolf the Apocalypse and Vampire the Masquerade and all those World of Darkness games. And they did that where they expanded, you know, well, this game's for werewolves and this game's for vampires and this game's for mages and this game's for ghosts. What I have thought about is I feel like with this game, I have a pretty fresh, interesting take on werewolves. Like, you know, like whether it's the most brilliant game in the world or not, like it's not like what has been done with them previously. And my thought is if I get really interesting, cool ideas for the other sort of supernatural creatures that are out there, then yes. Like if I could do something totally different, you know what I mean? But I don't think like just recreating, you know, just the sort of basic stereotypical version of all these different creatures that are out there that have been portrayed a lot in games is totally worth doing just to do it in Cortex unless it's a fresh take. I mean, because don't get me wrong, like I think you could, the Cortex system is so versatile, adds so much, I think, to the experience in many games. You know, and there's some games out there where like people I've seen people talk about and they say, hey, this game, this particular game, like I really like the setting, but I don't think it's playable with the system as is. But if you put it in Cortex, I think it's it's awesome. You know what I mean? And so like I don't think there's you know, it's bad to just sort of convert other things. But I, I feel like I want to have something fresh to say about it, you know, and I <laughs> it's funny you mentioned this because I was talking to some friends about a weird dream that I had about a dream for it was like I was in the dream. I was watching some kind of movie or show mm-hmm. and it was like a, a mech mecha versus Kaiju kind of thing that I was watching. But the pilots of the mechs were all vampires. And I have no idea if that idea has any legs, but you know, <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I don't want to get all on the weeds for a game that I've, I've written no words about yet, but the idea was just sort of like it, you know, that there is, there are these threats that come, and they're giant sort of mummified titans. And so these, 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 you know, they create these mechs to fight them, but they, they, they're so stressful physically or mentally to use them that they kill anybody uses them. But then like the world government sort of discover that the vampires have been living among them secretly, like they can pilot the mechs and they're fine. So then it's like, let's, we're going to have these vampires do it. And so they become sort of national heroes, like the Avengers or something, but like at the same time, the you know the world governments are like making sure they kind of get a fresh supply of victims <laughs> on the side so i think that there's there's an interesting texture there i don't know if i'll ever do anything with it but there's an interesting idea so you see like that off the wall that's what i would want to do if i go and do the other sort of supernatural types but in the context of wolfskin my thought is those are like the special threats so like your day-to-day thing so like if you know if you're if you're a pack of 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 werewolves in the game of, of people with wolf skins if you're a pack you know, you have your, your sort of what they what I call an omphalos from the Greek word for like a you know a central sacred place, and you have this place that you're defending, and most of the stuff you worry about on a day to day basis is human stuff. You know what I mean? Like, is you know, am I having bureaucratic issues? 
in terms of like the way, you know, if it's in the middle of a national park or something like that with the way people use it in the national park or are hikers trying to get in, or is there, you know, like, you know, an oil prospector or something is like sniffing around thinking there's some kind of resource here he wants to extract or whatever, like that's your day to day. But then like the sort of, you know, bigger events and stuff like that could be like a, a you know, a sorcerer who comes, and he wants to steal the sort of magical energies from the sacred site. Or, you know, uh, vampires who um, have sort of a special relationship in the, with the sacred sites. Um, that they they can do certain things there. They can't do other places they want to come. You know, things like that. Like, those are, you know, sort of the big, interesting supernatural threats. But I want there to be this day-to-day sort of background noise of having to do everything you do to just sort of preserve your home. Yeah. Um, now that you mention it, uh, you know, there making the distinction between the day-to-day and sort of like the special supernatural stuff. Uh, I wanted to sort of clarify a little bit more into uh, the characters that you're playing, uh, wolf skins and stuff like that. Um, it sounds like they can either be human or wolf or like sort of in between, if mm-hmm. I'm... Am I correct yeah. in saying that? Yes. So you once you accept this wolf skin, which is a sort of this, this spiritual mantle, it's represented by like some kind of object or token or talisman, but once you take it in, you gain the spiritual power that's been passed down from these divine beings who came into the world a long time ago. And once you do that, you can turn yourself into a wolf. You can turn yourself into a sort of hybrid wolf creature. And you can actually, because of the way the mechanics were in the game, you can customize the forms in between a little bit as you take them. On top of that, it gives you access to other sort of spiritual powers and gifts in addition to that. And the whole, but the whole reason you get those gifts, the whole thing you sworn to do. And the reason that your pack is brought together and sworn together is specifically to defend your home, to defend the sacred place that you've been placed in charge of. What's the sort of aesthetic there? Because, uh, you know, we look at movies and TV shows and we see all sorts of werewolves ranging from, that's just a really hairy person uh, to full on beast mode to just being a larger wolf. Uh, what does the wolf skin aesthetic look like when you're in that kind of uh, mode? Well, I, you know, I am, um, I'm really trying to make it so the players can, can decide. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, uh, um, mm-hmm. as I see it in, in my head, I think most of the time you're in your human form and then sometimes you're in your wolf form, which is convenient because you have, you know, you, you, you're, you're faster, you, you know, have sort of more endurance um, and you, your senses obviously are very much enhanced. So when you're in wolf form and you sort of patrol around in it, but that mostly you're in your human form or your wolf form. And then when you take these in between forms, you're really sort of choosing that you could become like the sort of just giant half man, half wolf engine of destruction, or you could become, you know, the sort of, um, you just bigger, taller, hairy Neanderthal form. My thought is, so if you spend most of your time as a human and some of your time as a wolf, and you're barely ever a, a wolf human hybrid, but then when you are, it's for like when these special things happen, like you're fighting supernatural creatures or there's some other big threat. And so that when you do that, when you are in that mode, um, that you as a character are sort of choosing uh, which features from which. And so that you can be in that form where it's like you can be the giant, you know, eight foot tall, hulking wolf man engine of destruction. Or you can be just sort of a big you know, dire wolf. Or you can be that sort of uh, the traditional like older school wolf man movie where it's just sort of like you're, you're, a, you're a bigger, hairier 
human with claws um, that I'm really, you know, that the, the player at the time can choose which aesthetic sort of suits what they're trying to do. And the dice will sort of reflect that. Interesting. I guess my follow-up question, and, and I suppose I'm just kind of going down the list of tropes here because I'm trying to th- figure out where this kind of fits in, is uh, is this the sort of ability that you can just tap into any time? Is it tied to the moon, or is it just going to really depend on the table that's running the game? So in terms of like how you know sort of mechanically it's implemented, the idea is that really like you can transform whenever you need to. And then the conceit that I have in the game is that the the folks that are sort of like they're werewolves who transform in the full moon and they run wild and they run rampant because I feel like even though that's not what I want the game to be about, that's a trope. It's part of the folklore. It's something I need to I need to have included in some sense in the game. And the idea is that when a pack swears to each other and swears to defend a place, if that location they're there to defend is destroyed or corrupted that those people, the, the, the werewolves, the wolfskins who are sort of defending that place, that their sort of instinctive, defensive aggressiveness to protect that place takes over, kind of grows in overdrive. And so they go into berserk mode. So, you know, they're, I, you know, and right now I'm just, um, to sort of coin them the lost, but the lost will be another kind of antagonist in the game. And those are more like their traditional werewolves where their transformations are activated by the cycle of the moon. You know, they're, you know, they can pass on curses by biting you and things like that. So that's where that fits into the game. But in terms of as a PC, as a PC, you're pretty well in control of your forms. You have a, you have something called rage stress. And if rage stress gets out of control, then you can become, you can go into berserker mode yourself. But, um, you know, I'm I'm not having the PCs be quite so dependent on lunar cycles or any any of that stuff as as you know might be present in the the folklore. That's that's sort of the bad guy werewolves. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And so with the uh, focus, you know, clearly like the focus is almost all around protecting these sacred places, and you're going to do that obviously as uh, a human wolf or in between. How do you see like the typical session of the game playing out? Like, would it be sort of like a mission based sort of thing? Like, oh, there's this particular threat that you have to address, or is it a little bit more uh, fluid than that? Or how how would you see how would you run the game? I guess is what I'm trying to get at. What I'm working with, uh, and there's I've been talking with some people in the Cortex Discord about how exactly to make those work right now. But you know, having to a certain degree the narrative of game be very player led like that there's a core of an idea and that you know you're to try to ask a lot of a lot of questions and let the players sort of fill in a lot of a lot of narrative and that's how i've been running it but i think in general just in terms of the setting because i know not everybody always wants to play a game that way um although you know i'm trying to put in some mechanics having to do with the the doom pool mechanic which is present in the you know the cortex handbook and which uh marvel used you know, so I want to have that mechanic sort of fuel um, sort of the narrative and how the threats emerge and stuff like that. But, you know, I do see it as sort of like it's it's you're like a family and your family and you're at home and there's external threats, but there's also internal drama. And so the idea is, in my mind, you know, a session starts with a sort of check in, like, where's where's everybody at? What's going on? And then seeing if people have any, you know, sort of interpersonal reactions interactions they want to do you know because i want to take a, a piece of what cordex has done in certain other systems especially like 
like Smallville, you know, which is really about the interpersonal drama, you know, and that's why you could have Superman and a bunch of teenagers in the same in the same party of adventurers. And it wasn't like it was all about Superman. And everybody else was like Zach and Manana. like everybody's equally potent because the the game tracked the drama between people. So I, I've tried to construct the traits of that. There's an element of that where at the beginning we're sort of checking in and we're seeing who, you know, where our characters are in their relationships as people and in terms of their own personal goals. And then the idea is that, you know, they sort of check in with the threats. They check in and they say, okay, what's our situation with that? You know, the, um, you know, with that local sheriff who's been giving us trouble or this or that or whatever, and people check in about that. And then, you know, let that hopefully go forward in a player laid way, but that basically that, that, you know, there's a lot of day-to-day maintenance and a lot of building defenses and, and trying to strengthen the, the, both the secrecy and the physical barriers that keep your home safe. And there's going to be some system to that too. Some system where it's almost like a, like a, like a base building system, you know what I mean? Where you can, you know, you're going to create sort of pools of assets that you can access to defend your home but at the same time i don't want to leave room from and i think this is going to be a very common thing sort of a monster of the week thing where there's you know there's this sorcerer who's in town you know there's this mysterious figure in town you don't know he's a sorcerer yet but he's 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 asking questions you got to figure out who he is and he wants to come and he wants to drain the magical power from where you are for example and so you you're dealing with that but you deal with that on that sort of sort of uh you know like investigative social level first before the threat escalates. And then, you know, obviously the whole thing can end like a traditional RP, RPG session, like a big slugfest or whatever, where you're you know, fighting a sorcerer and he's conjuring things and you're using your werewolf powers and everything else. But, um, you know, also leaving room for people who really would prefer to resolve things differently than that. I've taken a lot of inspiration in this game from Hammerheads, which is the, you know, one of the sample settings that comes with the Cortex book, which is, you know, it's all crisis pools and, and there's, you know, in general, there's no violence in that game. And I want that at least to be an option, you know? So, but in general, it's really just about, it's about checking in, defending your home, surveying for threats and dealing with those threats. Nice. And I think we're starting to touch on the different mods and just ingredients that you're bringing into Wolfskin. Uh, and we have a little bit of a special treat. I think we are going to get into that uh, because we are, going to collectively build a character together uh, as a sort of impromptu thing. Yeah, I have so many uh, questions that I still want to ask about the uh, game, but maybe it would be easier if we sort of uh, dove into uh, character creation and see sort of how all the pieces fit together when you're uh, when you have your wolfskin character. Gotcha. Yeah, I think that'll give us an opportunity to also, um, you know, because obviously there there are bits of the game where I'm doing something, you know, interesting or maybe even new compared to the Cortex engine. On the other hand, it's like, okay, this is the part where you pick skills. You know, we don't have to spend a zillion time on like, oh, here's picking skills or specialties because that like that's in the Cortex book, you know, that's sort of common to RPGs in general. And, you know, whereas the uh, we can, I think, spend more time on the elements of character creation that are are sort of novel. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so uh, why don't you kick us off then, and I think that Kirby and I both have uh, character sheets for Wolfskin, so we can definitely uh, reference those and follow along. So what would be our first step, sort of, in in determining, like, the unique things about our Wolfskin characters? Well, um, 
I, I went ahead and used uh, archetypes in, in this game. They're called birthrights. And because um, I think that's just, you know, it's it's similar to like, you know, another game picking a character class or, or you know, picking a role or career where it just gets the ball rolling, focuses your thoughts in a certain direction. And I think it's a really useful sort of piece of tech in Cortex because obviously like, you know, when you start to make a character and a lot of them like the sort of the, you know, it's like can be a completely blank canvas. And so um, I went ahead and used birthrights. So your first step would be choosing a birthright, which is sort of a calling that you have, a destiny, not a prescribed role that is enforced in you socially, but just something that, you know, is within you naturally that receiving a wolf skin sort of brings out. And um, we've related it to the sort of uh, conditions when you were at the time your character was first born. And so there's, you could be a, uh, a dusk runner. They're the keepers of secrets and they are born sort of at, at twilight and they're the scouts and spies and strategists. And they, you know, mastermind and test defenses for the home. Um, then there's a, a moon caller keeper of lives who was born beneath the moon. And the, you, the moon callers are charged with preserving impact length lives uh, protecting uh, others in general, um, you know, sort of a soldier, a healer, you know, the sort of the, the most physical type of all the uh, all the birthrights. You could be star marked who is born beneath a starry moonless night. And these are uh, masters of lore, liaisons to spirits and other supernatural forces. They're chosen to speak for the spirits. They can uh, they occasionally receive glimpses of possible futures and they uh you know they they use spells and defensive sorcery and they're the ones who who watch out for the more superhuman threats then there's the stormborn the keepers of peace who uh were born beneath uh stormy skies and they're messengers diplomats storytellers and they're just sort of uh they maintain the health within the pack and inspire their comrades and they also counter professional potential threats in uh, nearby communities. Yeah. They're the ones who travel around a lot. And when they're home, they sort of uh, maintain uh, the pack and their relationships with each other. Finally, they could be a sun chaser, a keeper of tools uh, just born beneath the sun of a clear day in their um, inventors, builders, armors, quartermasters, you know, they're, they're curious and detail oriented, but they're also impatient and they just tend to be very, one to move on and do the next thing and improve anything they see. And uh, they, they help maintain the home for everyone. And so you choose one of those five professions and it'll determine your powers and your starting skills and also uh, grants you one of your three distinctions. Okay. Wow. So yeah, there are a lot of uh, diverse options, obviously. I like how they sort of all fit into like these little niches within your pack. Yeah. And they, 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 I totally did not intend for them to all like, correspond backwards to the roles and leverage but <laughs> once i once i rolled them out people were like yeah they totally do you you got you got a mastermind you got a yeah it's you know well yeah uh, i i don't know if we're gonna need to uh pick our birthright then to keep going on with the example but i think i would be most inclined most interested in the um the star marked i think okay yeah yeah, because I like the idea of like the mystical powers and the supernatural. Uh, as long as that's okay with uh, you and Kirby, I think that would be a good one to look at. Yeah, definitely. Uh, for me, it was a toss up between Star Marked and Sun Chaser, anyway. So, uh, yeah, let's go with Star Marked. 
Okay, that is going to give you, um, it's going to set some of your powers. So the, the game has five powers. They're senses, speed, spirit, stamina, and strength. It sets uh, spirit as your highest, which will be at a D10, and then all the others are D8, except for it makes your lowest stamina, which is D6. It also grants certain uh, skills that will start at a D6 rating, which will be education, mysticism, and nature. And then it puts a distinction down. And your, your, so your first distinction is, this is our destiny. And all the, uh, all the birthrights sort of give a, you know, a, a distinction, a birthright distinction that is uh, both sort of an attitude and a catchphrase. Also be a, a drawback at times. Do you expand on those in the book at all, or is it just sort of like up for interpretation how the uh, player wants to do it? Um, for the distinctions, it's definitely like, yep, here's your phrase. This is our destiny. What does that mean to you? What does that mean to your character? You know, because I try to keep them fairly simple. And then, um, you know, all I do say is that I, I talk a little bit about how they can be negative. You know what I mean? Like, this is our destiny, for example, could be, that could make you overconfident in a situation. Uh, it could also mean that like you, you feel like your destiny is to lose. And so you, you sort of give up, you know, or you, you have a pessimistic attitude. Um, you know, it could be, this is our destiny. Like, seriously, this is what we're doing. You know, so there's lots of ways for it to be both positive and negative. The, hopefully the phrases are all designed to be very versatile and to, uh, to really enable play and also make you, you know, start making you think in character. I like the idea of it being sort of a double-edged sword where it can both help you and hurt you depending on the situation. Yeah, because I wanted to obviously use the the traditional cortex uh, SFX of hinder that generally goes with distinctions where it's like you, it's it's rated a D8. You can just include it in your die roll and roll a D8 or you can just roll a D4 and get a plot point that way. After that, I, it's just a background distinction. This is just a word or brief phrase described at, describing aspects of who your character is. You know, just just who you were before you re- received your wolf skin, before you had this calling. I put a list in the doc that I have now, just so people can pick or at least have examples. You know, that you could be a you could be a scientist or a criminal or you know an investigator or an artist or whatever that you can. You know, and the idea is the the default is putting some kind of adjective before you know the, the the sort of word that describes who you were so you could be a a competitive mountaineer you know what i mean or a a disciplined teacher you know or a, a you know elusive smuggler like whatever it is just put a little bit of description in there and just put some description of who you used to be and i find that works pretty well as a distinction also yeah i, I can see here actually in your uh, table that you have um that you know, the, the number of options that you have as, as examples, there's like 10 for the background distinctions and then like 12 for the quirk trouble distinctions. Did you do that on purpose so that people could like roll randomly for it if they exactly, wanted? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's why there's not, <laughs> I there's not nine. Yeah. There's not 11. Yeah. It's, 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 it all, you know, it's gotta be an even number that corresponds to a platonic sol- solid because, um, you know, I find that a lot of times when you, because I've mostly play tested this with little like sort of con events like online where it's like people are pretty much just getting the game in front of them a little bit before you run and making sure. characters quickly and going right into the scenario. And some people in that scenario really do like to randomly generate everything. So it's like, I'm going to randomly generate my background distinction. I'm going to randomly generate my sort of quirk or trouble distinction. Like they, you know, they want 
to have the choices made quickly. And then they want to use that structure to sort of fill their creativity in. So I, I try to enable that as best I can. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of random rolling my characters. So that's pretty awesome. I like that inclusion. And I even I, I made sure that even though the birthrights, there's five of them. Like what I tell myself is, OK, but then you just roll a d10 and divide by two. So you're fine. Like you can still randomize the all right, cool. phase two. I can um, still do do all random. Yeah, exactly. And then your third distinction is just a quirk or trouble. It's just something that either, you know, causes things to not go right for you, or it's just something just sort of weird or idiosyncratic, just one more distinction that describes you. And uh, the examples I list are disturbingly calm, always prepared, smarter than I look, wolf in sheep's clothing, voice of reason, etc. It could be anything, really. And I mean, this is in a lot of Cortex games. I try to focus what the distinction can be here just to aid character creation. But I mean, it could be anything, you know, anything that you feel is evocative that can be a positive or a negative works as a distinction in Cortex. And, uh, you know, just to reiterate, so like these distinctions, obviously, you know, you can use them for like certain mechanical things, but they don't prescribe any like special abilities in and of themselves mechanically. It's more of a sort of a narrative tool to let you play your character. Yes, these are not. I mean, sometimes in a Cortex game, distinctions will have like, oh, you choose from one of these pre pre created distinctions and they unlock certain SFX for you for stuff like that. Here, it's really much more other than having your birthright distinction that is chosen for you. It's 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 just really mostly just about the player choice. And then they are just there to be evocative, to be used in roles. And I mean, ideally in a Cortex game, like the GM never second guesses you, including you know, a distinction in your role. You know what I mean? Right. So if yeah. you, you know, if you want to punch a guy really hard and you say, okay, I'm going to roll D eight for fashion Maven. That's how you see your character. Okay. You know, the, the GM should just roll with the logic of that. It should be very rare. The GM goes, really? That's okay. You know what I mean? Because we want to try to sort of trust players. I think to, to know who the character is, to understand their place in the fiction, and then to do whatever sort of sorts well with that. Well, because obviously, you know, you're insulting their fashion choices before you punch them. So it just yeah, adds exactly. insult to injury. <laughs> exactly. Because, you know, and I have and found, too, when, because I played Marvel a lot, which used a lot of the same, you know, system. And um, I found that whenever, you know, there were times when a GM did sort of question the use of a distinction. And the player would always have, you know what I mean, like, well, you know what? Yeah, no, because I came up as a short order cook and I only to take no crap from anybody. And it's like, okay, that's why short order cook counts in your brawl role. Fantastic. Awesome. You know what I mean? Like, they, yeah. you know, players think about this stuff. And it's funny too, because I, I saw a discussion the other day about distinctions, about keeping people from just like spamming the same distinction over again. But players are naturally self-selecting about that. They don't want to feel like they're cheating. They don't want to feel like they're doing the same thing every turn. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think that's a concern that a lot of new GMs and players have is like, oh, I, I could just spam my best die. But that's not a flaw in the system. That's by design. And also okay. it is like a it's, a, it's an opportunity uh, to further characterize your character. As you said, like if, if you're a short order cook, you that's an opportunity to just kind of highlight that upbringing or not. Upbringing, exactly. No, yeah. That background, yeah, that 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 how being that shaped your character and how it shapes your character's attitude, and then also obviously there you can use this a negative thing like like uh, you know you could be your character's in the middle of a firefight and you decide you want to roll the you want to use the hinder effect you want to roll the d four you want to treat it as a negative, 
And so you say, what am I doing here? I'm a short order cook. You know, it can go both ways. Yeah. Very, very Star Trek moment there. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. Oh, man. Making the Star Trek guys in Cortex would be great. And and, Ooh, oh, absolutely. And, and and you just make one of McCoy's distinctions. I'm a doctor. And it could be anything, <laughs> it could be any situation. It wouldn't matter. You know what I mean? I'm a doctor, yeah. not a forklift. You know, <laughs> I'm a doctor, not a Zeppelin. Like it could, you know, and it'd just be like, it, that guy could spam. Yeah. I'm a doctor every single role and nobody at the table would have a problem with it. It would just be wonderful. Okay. So everyone can look forward to a Jeremy's uh, Star Trek hack in the near future <laughs> now. And uh, I, you know what? I have a not like not Star Trek quite obviously, but like a, an idea in my head that is a strong Star Trek influenced idea. So maybe one day. Maybe one day. I don't know if you'll be able to play McCoy, though. So, you know, the, obviously the attractive uh-huh. part is gone. There's no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you're maybe on we'll have you. Uh... But you can't just say I'm a doctor, not an ex. So maybe yeah. nobody will like it. <laughs> maybe we'll have you uh, on next time to talk about that one. If that comes out, then. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's a, once you start, you know, because it's it's, you know, I've been working on D&D so long. You know what I mean? And it's like you can do a zillion things with D&D. But I, my creativity has definitely felt very channeled you know, in certain ways. And then once I sort of have been thinking of cortex ideas and working on things like just, I don't know, sky's the limit. I got like three or four different cortex games in my head right now. I kind of see it as getting a tattoo uh, because once you get like your first tattoo and uh, assuming you, you want liked get getting your first tattoo, you want more mm-hmm. and you start yeah. looking at the world like, Oh, that would be a cool tattoo. Oh, oh, that would be a cool tattoo. And it's basically the same thing here with cortex. You start designing a game, uh, whether from the ground up or just taking pieces from the handbook, which that's what it's there for. And you start thinking as you're sitting on the couch, watching whatever the Netflix show is and be like, Oh, this can absolutely be a Cortex game. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then it's interesting, too, when you because you design a Cortex game and you there's so many different pieces. And now part of my inspiration for wanting to do new things is, well, I didn't have room to use roles this time, but I really want to use roles. So, like, what's the game mm-hmm. I'm going to do roles in? You know what I mean? It makes yeah. you want to do the next thing because because the toolkit is so great. You want to use all the tools, even though you can't without making a mess. Right, right, right. We kind of have roles with regards to some of these distinctions, uh, but for this game, you chose to use skills. Uh, are these distinctions highlighting skills, or are you still just kind of picking what you want from the skill list? I feel like you want skills or specialties or uh, you know a sort of a grounded competency-based trait to deal with the sort of quotidian elements I was talking about earlier. You know what I mean? Like, you know... Um, you know, you, you, I'm the character who has bureaucracy. I'm skilled at dealing with the fact, you know, that somebody wants to expand, you know, camping into the area directly adjacent to our home. You know what I mean? Like I'm the person who's skilled at dealing with that. Whereas I'm the person who's skilled at like, you know, hacking into the you know, nearby town's computers and seeing what their plans are for this fracking project or whatever. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I definitely wanted that to be an element. I was going to cover that with roles, which was just to me like, Hey, you're uh, a sun chaser. You just are good at these things. And it just turned out that it was really, we need the specificity of, of skills. So I have a set skill list of uh, 15 skills. And then each of the five birthrights gives you a D six and three separate skills. And so each one comes with sort of its own skill set. Nice. And I think um, if I'm not mistaken, that you can also sort of uh, choose additional skills later or, Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. And so there might be some overlap between characters, but uh, yeah, they definitely the, the, have differentiation. You know, I don't think Cortex needs to be as, as a system needs to be as concerned with niche protection as something like D&D is. You know what I mean? Like, because, you know, number one, even if everybody in the party can pick a lock, like you should, the process of creating your hair should mean that you do that with such a personal flair that you picking a lock is totally different than the other people in the group picking a lock. Right. You know? And then also just the, you know, the creativity with which you create actions in Cortex, I think, means that, you know, even people with similar skills would not be as, as bad. But at the same time, I do have these sort of um, these the, the birthrights in place to sort of channel your character in certain directions. Because if you want to be the expert in lock picking, you know, like, well, you would probably pick the birthright that specializes in that kind of thing. So uh, we got our uh, background distinctions. We got our quirk and troubles. Uh, was there any other uh, parts of uh, character creation we still needed to cover? Or so, if you were creating a character, so 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 like we're creating a, um, you know, with a star marked our our birthright skills are education, mysticism, and nature. We would have d six in each of those, and then we get to the phase where we could sort of uh, choose other skills. You could you could basically get five d6s to put in the skills but if you want to take a d6 and throw it in one of the skills that you've already gotten then you would step that skill up to a d8 and then so you have that list of 15 skills to either you can double down on the skills that you got from your birthright or you can try to diversify more and so you pick out of your skills and now you have your skills you have your powers you have your distinctions done your character is practically finished by that point in the in the in the process and then we move on to drives and this is by design in the game, you would do this part sitting down with your group and drives are a little. So this is where I've probably this. This is the section that's most like sort of new compared to Cortex, even though it really does draw heavily on relationships and values as traits. For me, I, I happen to come from a background uh, in theater. Um, I, I, I was a, a playwright for a long time and uh you know I, I my mfa is in creative writing and what was impressed upon me and what writers from you know aaron sorkin to george R. R. martin you know will tell you is that the thing to have in your head when you're telling a story is not even really about who the character is but about what they want that is the most important thing like if you know what the character wants you've got a story and I really wanted to just focus people in that direction because, you know, people often make a character and it's like, yeah, I made a big, big, tough fighter guy. I want to bust heads. Okay. But what are your goals? Like, what do you want to do? I don't know. I'm just really good at beating people up. And (laughs) I, I I really wanted to focus on why does your character do this? Because you're a person you swore to take on a spiritual wolf mantle, like to, to take this magical, power into your nature but also while swearing an oath to defend this specific place to defend a sacred place in the world you know what i mean so your motivations are really crucial to the game and i want motivations to be a part of every role so you're not going to choose to do that willy-nilly so no no not exactly like your character you have a reason nobody falls into i guess i'll become a, a a werewolf paladin defending a sacred grove of trees like no you know people don't fall <laughs> into that because it was like a help wanted sign was posted you know this is a this is a calling this is a location this is you know this has 
changed who you are and focused who you're going to be for the rest of your life. So, um, and drives is not a term that is totally foreign to Cortex though, because in the original Smallville book, uh, it was like the catch all category that included values and relationships. They called it drives. I'm not totally out here inventing things, but I want to create characters that are dramatically interesting, that are not just interesting in conflict, with their environment, but are interesting in conflict with others around them. You know, even with their friends and allies and even interesting in conflict with themselves. So what I have is you have these six drives that are take the form of statements like values and relationships normally do. And then each one is actually linked to one of the values in the game. And the values in this game are acceptance, devotion, freedom, justice, power, and security. And then the idea is you pick your first two drives and your first two drives are two statements about your character and their motivations that are directly in contact in conflict with each other. So your character has two sort of different uh, internal emotional motivations that work against each other. This is mostly, by the way, tech inspired by a drama system, which is a game Robin Laws wrote, uh, Hill Folk. uh, Dramatic polls, I think is what it's called. Yes, yes. So, I mean, obviously, like I've made it my own and it's in Cortex and it's its own thing. But really, like, I mean, I use dramatic polls and that whole approach. I use it when I run D&D. I use it when I run everything. Like once that came out, I was just like, oh, this is this should be layered onto every RPG that I do like forever. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, frankly, it's it's better than the uh, as a character mode there than the alignment system, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe maybe a hot take that I need to take to my own podcast uh, that I will maybe call misaligned. Uh, where I just kind of rag on the I just rag on the alignment system. Yeah, I think I think I'll yeah, you would you would join a very big club. That's probably I mean it's hard to think of a more controversial, frequently maligned mechanic in role playing games, period. And mm. um what's crazy is in in 5e, they've really de-emphasized alignment, but then there's you have ideals and flaws and bonds and traits and that is just, they just assume that's, that's part of everything. Every character is going to have that. Like maybe you'll ignore alignment, but you're definitely going to have ideals and flaws and bonds and traits, personality traits. And they even like, then they'll, they'll put an NPC in the book and all their NPCs will just have those four traits. They might not even have a stat block, but here are their ideals and their, you know, and so I feel like that, that actually shares a lot of DNA with drama system and with Smallville and with what we're sort of doing here, you know, um, which is, um, then to my advantage, when I want to use this stuff in d and I go, okay, so you're going to have an ideal and a flaw. They're just going to be directly contradictory. And um, so that's when I, what I do here. So you, you're going to have your first two drives and uh, they take the form of a statement like values and relationships normally do in Cortex. So uh, like one of your two conflict drives might be show everyone they're wrong about me. And the other one might be live free from others' expectations. And obviously, like, if you're, you know, totally concerned about showing people they're wrong, but at the same time, you don't want to be governed by people's expectations, like that's, you know, those are two things that that are contradictory inside of you. And so you're going to write these two sort of statements about your character that uh, contradict each other. And then you kind of have to uh, uh, see, like, when you're actually playing, like, you get into the situation where these two things are in conflict. You have to decide which one wins out, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're choosing... 
yeah. And because it's a prime trait, you're choosing every roll. You're deciding which of your drives. And there's going to be, you know, th- those are your first two drives. It's going to be six drives. And you'll use one of your drives on every roll. You're just sort of picking which one. Um, but these are your big ones because, uh, we, you know, we get into once you create your drives, all six drives have ratings, but it's it's locked into the rules that your conflict drives start rated. At, they're both rated at D10. They're your, your strongest drives. And this is still like interacting with the challenge, your trait statement mechanic, right? Or yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, like other uh, drives, just like values and relationships can be challenged. But then it works the same way also that, um, you know, values work in Cortex where once you step down a drive, one of your other six drives has to step up because you're, you, you're always going to have the same number of step ups in your drives Mm -hmm. at any given point in the game. And then, so I even, I kind of leaned into that and I've added another mechanic called unbalancing. And when you unbalance, you can. You know, you have the different kinds of stress that you have in the game. I don't think I talked about the stresses, really. But you have damage, stress, despair, stress, exhaustion, stress, persecution, stress, and rage, stress. And if you have uh, despair, exhaustion, or rage, stress, you can move all that stress to the doom pool and to step up when your conflict drives. But then when you do that, the other conflict drive immediately steps down. Mm-hmm. And while you're sort of out of balance, while one of your conflict drives is is, is higher and the other one is lower, uh, whenever you take rage stress, that stress steps up because you're, Oof. your character's in sort of a different, <laughs> they're in a different state of mind. They're in a hyper-focused state of mind where one of their drives is really moving them. I like that a lot. Yeah, it's a cool idea. Yeah, so I added that. So on top of being able to challenge your drives, there's that. So I, I expect there to be really a lot of action with drives in play. Um, and, and, and generally in play testing, uh, in, in, at least in, in certain sessions there have been certain sessions, uh, you know, the people have just used the drive sort of normally as part of their roles, but they've been, they've really lent flavor to people's actions, but in other ones, it's been like, okay, I'm going to challenge this and then I'm going to unbalance this. And then, you know, people have really gotten into messing with the system on it. Yeah. Nice. Let's see. We talked values, uh, and then you got bond drives and general drives and uh why don't you tell us actually a little bit about like how the ratings are sort of uh ranked or like sort of the scale that we're talking about rate or drives sure. on so uh a d4 is it's it is a motivation for you but it's a complicated motivation you know what i mean usually your character is only going to have one d4 um okay and then it drives and then a d6 is something that's it's on your radar it's something that matters to you you know a, a d8 is never it's always kind of in the back of your head. You're never totally free of thinking about this particular drive. Uh, a D10 is the heart and soul of who you are. And then a D12, which which I think you're probably only going to have in play if you've unbalanced or you've you've you know you've challenged a, a, a drive and, and you're just you're sort of like out of whack, like you're not currently in a healthy state of mind, then you will have a D12 drive and that is just nothing will distract you from pursuing your drive at all costs. If it's at a D12, it's going to sort of like take over your life, I guess for that yes. time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And okay. You know, like I said, that's that, that something has, yeah, something has gone wrong. If you're at a point where you have a D12 drive, cause then it's, then that is no pun intended, but that is in the driver's seat. <laughs> all right. So once we've nailed down these drives and we have 
what feels to me like a very fleshed out character and what would probably take 10, 20 minutes tops, depending on how much table discussion is mm-hmm. going on. Yeah. I find it goes very quickly. And then especially because, the, so the bond drives, which are your, you know, next drives that sort of categorized is just, you want something from another player character. You want some kind of emotional internal reward from them that they are unable to grant you or that it's that, that they are very unlikely to grant you. You know, so it's like in a classic D&D party, like maybe you're the thief and you want the paladin's respect, but the paladin does not want to affirm your lawless lifestyle or whatever. It'd be like that. And going through and doing that, because then you have to, when you determine those drives, you have to negotiate those with the other player character, right? Because it can't be like, okay, I really want your respect that you're withholding from me. And then the other person's like, no, I, my character totally respects your character. I wouldn't deny you respect. Then that doesn't work. You know I mean? It has to be sort of a, uh, an unfulfilled emotional goal. And I found that that process gets everybody like by the end of that negotiation, everybody knows who each other's characters are and everybody's very involved in who each other's characters are. And then, so you do your two conflict drives, you do two bond drives, and then finally you just do two general drives. And the, your general drives are just two goals that you want to pursue that, that you can define however you want. And then once you've got the six drives and each one is tied to one of those six values, acceptance, devotion, freedom, justice, power, security, then yeah, people generally not only know, they really know who their character is and also they have a, a really good handle on who the other characters in the group are. Very cool. Yeah, I like I like the idea of having that sort of like group involvement in that final step because I always find that like whenever you have like character creation sessions where like people sort of bring in their already formed characters and stuff like that. And then you have to sort of like, Oh, this one doesn't fit in with the rest of them. Or like, how, how is, how are you supposed to make these two characters, you know, work together when they're like completely opposed or, you know, but with this, it's sort of built in so that you answer all those questions and work it out from the beginning so that, you know, you know exactly how all these interactions are going to work. Yeah. Cause every group has that guy, don't they? Or that person, (laughs) that player where they, they always, Oh yeah. Yeah, I remember, I can't remember what game I was playing, but some game where it was like a like a space opera game where, you know, we're the bridge crew of a spaceship or whatever, right? And this there's this one player who always has great character ideas, but they're always lone wolves. They never fit in. And he had this idea for this this character who was from this like technophobic culture. And you're sort of like a, like, a, like a mentat from Dune or something where they do, they don't use computers at all. They do everything with calculus in their heads and they hate technology and da, 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 da. And it was like, this guy explained this awesome character idea. We're all inspired. And then the, the GM was like, okay, so you are on a spaceship with these other people. How <laughs> like, like, what are you, gonna, you know, and, and I, yeah. it's frustrating because on a lot of games that feel sort of just totally GM led, a player will show up with that idea and then expect the GM to solve that problem. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. And, and I think by having a process where you think about the group, I think that that often overcomes that, that tendency. Yeah, well, um, I'm definitely ready to play. Uh, let's go. No, yeah. <laughs> no but uh, so, and, and then in, in terms of the character creating process, at that point, you're pretty much done because all you get is you get some my version of SFX or boons. You get some boons that are just consistent with being a werewolf, you know, like your claws and your healing and things like that. And then you get you get sort of one extra boon that has to do with your birthright. You know, what I mean, like a, a star marked would get one where they can predict the future. And actually, this is a I, I'm I'm happy with this mechanic uh, that you you uh you get to roll a die and sort of keep it to replace somebody else's effect roll effect die later, later on because you have predicted the future and so Ooh. at some point Ooh. 
Interesting. You spend a plot point and, and you know, you only get to do it once, but like somebody yeah. else makes a roll and they're like, okay, cool. I've got a D12 effect die. Nope. You have the D6 effect die. I've been sitting on this entire time, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, people, people enjoy that one. So, um, you know, I wouldn't want to, uh, impose any like hard dates or anything on you, but just out of curiosity, uh, do you foresee Wolfskin being available anytime in the near future or? I want it to be well, because the thing is, obviously, I'm, I'm waiting in the Cortex Creator Studio. It's just not legal to, you know, we don't have you don't have the rights to publish a game until they right. have the Creator Studio up. And, um, you know, they've been cagey about dates and I for perfectly understandable reasons. And so that's the trick is I'm trying to put in work on the side. I'm hoping that they don't surprise us. Do you know what I mean? Hoping that it's not like, OK, well, Creator Studio is open tomorrow. You know, yeah. um, then, then I will oh, not be ready. I'm hoping they say, OK, it'll, it'll be ready on this date and then I can slot it in our workflow. Because right now, if I put in, you know, if I write something, if I write D&D stuff and I put it on DM skill, like I can expect it, like, you know, if assuming people buy it, which which I've been fortunate, people often do uh, that, that I will have some money coming in soon and I can sort of count on that. Whereas if I work on Cortex at the moment, I don't know when I will eventually see compensation for that work. So right. right now it's a passion project, but if they give a date, like I'm, I'm going to make sure I meet that date. If, if they announce tomorrow, Hey, creator studio is open. Okay. I have, I still have quite, I, 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 got a, <laughs> I got a lot of word count to burn through to have the game totally ready to be what I want it to be. But the good news is like having play tested enough, having run it a few times and talked it, you know, through with folks like you guys. Um, I know there's a game there. I know that it works. I know that it's playable. And then it's just a matter of putting it all down on paper. And I'm doing that a little bit of a time, but I, I ideally day one of Cortex Creator Studio, I will have, I will have this up. Uh, well, where can folks get the latest news on this while we're waiting on the Cortex uh, Creator Studio? Uh, do we have like a website or are listeners going to be able to download like an earlier draft to play tests or submit their feedback? I originally created this game for what they, the, a sort of game jam event called the Cortex Creator Confab uh, that went through the Cortex Discord. So there's an older version of the Cortex Discord. Um, as I develop it more, I've, I've been putting bits and pieces up in that Discord. But hopefully, uh, by the time this podcast reaches the ears of listeners, uh, wolfskin.com will be up. Um, I'm, I'm working on that now. And there so will be a, hopefully a website that will be a central information for at least like like, you know, setting material and some quick start stuff and everything, things that I can put up, but not, you know, that, that aren't for sale because I'll be, everything will be sold through the Cortex Creator Studio, obviously. Mm-hmm. But uh, wolfskin.com should be, um, should be up by the time these uh, sound waves are being listened to. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes. Are, where can people find you otherwise? Are you on Twitter or any of the other social media? Yep, I'm on uh, I'm Twitter. I'm just uh, at at Jeremy Forbing, uh, J-E-R-E-M-Y, F-O-R-B-I-N-G, Twitter.com. You know, on if people want to find uh, my existing work, the majority of it is uh, D&D 5E stuff. And I'm uh, I'm on, they can go to dmskilled.com and just search uh, Forbing, F-O-R-B-I-N-G. I think I'm the only Forbing on there. I think it's a, not a, not a super common last name. And, uh, you know, they should, all my stuff will, uh, all my stuff will come up and obviously it's linked for my Twitter and everything else. Awesome. Um, well, we want to thank you so much, Jeremy, for uh, taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to us. For sure. 
for sure. My my busy COVID childcare <laughs> Zoom school tearing my hair out schedule. Yeah, no, it's been yeah. it's, honestly, it's, obviously it's been a nice break. <laughs> it gave me an excuse to say, "Okay, kids, have some screen time." I'm daddy's going to go do something. So it's <laughs> it's been it's it's been nice. Well, uh, hopefully we'll get you on again sometime in the near future and we can uh, give you another break. You for know, sure. Talk well, some I'll more just, Cortex. Yeah, yeah, I'll have to I'll have to make up a bunch more games for you guys to have some more, more stuff for me to talk to you about. Talk to me about. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Yeah, I'll, I'll come on. And I'll talk about uh, Vampire Mecha Pilots. Yes. <laughs> yes. Let's do that. I'll do right. that. We're, we're going to schedule yeah. thing right after this well, call. I don't have yeah. a name. I don't have a name for that game, but I'm almost wondering, like, should I just call it? vampire mecha pilots like is that just you know i mean like it seems too on the nose but then again is the on the nose in an awesome way i don't know i gotta, I gotta yeah, think no no i think i think it's good you know and you know exactly what you're getting it's the same thing that you see on the tin so yes yes, yes. yes. Vampire, vampire colon the mechaning or something like that. <laughs> yeah i've thought about awesome. it to, to differentiate from vampire the masquerade i call it nosferatu mecha pilots i don't know i don't know mm-hmm. I don't, i'll have to figure it out all right. <laughs> Thanks again, Jeremy. We really appreciate it. And uh, it was great talking to you. For sure. Thank you guys so much for having me out. And thank you so much for just finding more of a shining more of a spotlight on Cortex, which I think is going to be, I mean, it's such a great game. And I just don't think enough people have played it. And I, anything that happens to publicize it, I think is awesome for the hobby in general, because it really, I think, is a game that demonstrates what tabletop RPGs can do. Totally agree. Totally agree. Uh, well, that about does it for our interview with uh, Jeremy Forbing. He's uh, working on Wolfskin along with a few other tabletop projects. And uh, you can follow him you know, on Twitter. Uh, you can see what he's doing on the Cortex Discord. And Wolfskin.com, hopefully, as he said, will uh, be up by the time you're listening to this. And uh, yeah, we'll put all those links in the show notes for you. Until then, see you next time.